Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is the message from Sunday morning, October 29th, 2023 by Tom Job from the Book of Romans in chapter 16. And just a heads up, we had a recording malfunction, so he came back into the studio and recorded it straight into the mic without all the people, but you're still going to get to enjoy it. So here we go, Romans 16. So I want to read to you from, this is Romans chapter 16, which is like the, one of the most unusual chapters of the entire New Testament, because there's just, you know, where, where the apostle Paul would write people letters and then in certain towns, and then he would say, oh yes, make sure you say hello to this person or say hello to that person. But in Romans chapter 16, there's just a gallery of people that he's saying hello to. There's 28 of them. Rich and poor, slave, ex-slave, free, men and women, all people who had been so important in his own personal journey and also had done amazing things. And so I I decided to call these weeks, um, imagine seeing you here. So this is Roman. Okay, so. There's so many people, but this is in, cha- in verse, well, verse six says, greet Mary who worked very hard for you. And then in verse seven, it says, meet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the, the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Let me pray real quick. Lord God, I do thank you so much for just the opportunity to... Um, Think about these amazing people and um, who did amazing things, who were born and grew up and never knew that their life would be as amazing as it has turned out to be. So help us to understand them and to kind of get the push that you want us to get from their life. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, there was a guy, oh gosh, this was probably how long ago, maybe... I don't know, 12 or 13 or 14 years ago, kind of before the internet ever was. But there was a there was a, a family that went to church here. They've moved back to Indianapolis, but they were from Indianapolis. And they, um, so what, and he was a doctor here and we used to run together all the time. And he wanted to, me to go with him to run the, the Indianapolis, the Indy 500 half marathon, which was like the first main event in a whole month of, of, you know, festivities around the Indianapolis 500, kind of like the Dogwood Arts Festival. So, um, the only thing is because you couldn't register online because there wasn't such a thing back then, you, we, I had to fill out this form. So then he calls me on, on a Friday and said, I forgot to tell you, you have to fill out that form before four o'clock Friday the 14th. And so today is four o'clock. Today is Friday the 14th. And so you have to fill out that form because it has to be before four o'clock in the, has to be postmarked before four o'clock on Friday the 14th. And it is Friday the 14th. So would you fill out that form? So I get that form and I'm filling it out because it was like 245 and I was filling it out so fast. And I thought this has to be done by four o'clock Friday the 14th. And it da da da. So when I put my name and then when it said X, because it was almost four o'clock on Friday the 14th, I put F and then I put it in the mail. I took it to the post office and gave it to the person. And then I thought, did I put F when it said sex? Because it was almost four o'clock on Friday, the 14th. And my brain was so full of F's that I put F and it turned out I did. And, um, which was a little bit awkward, but one kind of cool thing was, I think this was like, I was in the 
maybe 55 to 60 age group. I did come in 17th of all the women in my age group. So I thought that was pretty good. But there was a woman in 1955 named Emma Gatewood who told her kids, she had 23 grandkids, but she told her kids that she was going for a walk and she didn't tell them that what she meant by that was that she was going to walk the entire Appalachian Trail, which she got, she had two, she had a print cotton dress, packed another cotton dress, Keds tennis shoes, a, a shower curtain for a tent and a raincoat, some Vienna sausages, raisins and peanuts and walk the entire Appalachian Trail. The first woman to ever do it. And so they asked her, so what happened was there were some people that she met along the trail and they, and she kind of told them her story and they told some people. And before you know it, a guy with Life Magazine, which was a magazine that used to be, they used to have back then, wrote a story about her. So by the time she got to New England on her way to Maine in the end of the Appalachian Trail, she was already like nationally famous. And so they, um, but they asked her why she was doing it. And she said she was tired of watching her grandkids, which is, it's not really true. She had like a, a, an extremely abusive husband. The reporter said it wasn't like she was walking to something. It was like she was walking away from something. But by the time she got to New England, she was so famous that she would walk through like a little town in New England at five o'clock, knock on a random door. They knew who she was and they would invite her for dinner. And that's how she ate, ate in New England. But so she was 65 when she did that. So she was the first woman to ever hike the Appalachian Trail. Two years later, when she was 67, she became the first human to do it two times. And she eventually did it three times. But there was a woman who, um, her name was, um, this was like in 19, I think 21. And she was about 20 years old and decided that she wanted to swim the English Channel. Five, she would, she was trying to be the first woman to ever swim the English Channel. She would be the sixth person to do it. And she did do it and became not only the first woman to do it, but she beat the world record by two hours. Her name was Gertrude Etterly. And in the 1920s, she was more famous as an athlete than Babe Ruth. And they had a ticker tape parade down Manhattan. There were two million people there to salute, you know, to greet her and celebrate her and all that stuff. And there's never been that many people at a ticker tape parade until the first people who walked on the moon. So anyway, okay, so the, the reason I'm talking about that is, so in chapter 16, Paul, so he greets these two people, Andronicus and Junia, and he, and he said that they were prominent among the apostles. The only thing is that Junia, it's a name like Julia. It's a, it's a woman's name. And people have thought, and biblical scholars have thought, okay, so 
that's impossible. Like, so, so to be an apostle is a position of authority, the kind of authority that God in the New Testament does not entrust to, to women. So when it says, so people have, have always thought it, maybe it was a married couple, Andronicus and, Ju, and Junia, but they said, okay, it can't mean Junia like a woman's name. Junia must be a nickname. There was a name, Junianius, which was a masculine name. Well, Junia must be a nickname for Junianius. And it must be a masculine name. In fact, in some New Testaments, it's translated Junius, which was a masculine name. The only thing is, there's no record in ancient documents of any kind that Junia was anything other than a woman's name. And there's no indication ever that Junia was a nickname for Junianius. It's kind of like if you go further back in ancient history, all, all the way to the prehistoric days... And you start to see in ancient archaeology the documentation of two names, Fred Flintstone and Wilma. And you think, Wilma, maybe that was short for Wilmaninius, who could have been like one of Fred's lodge brothers at the Water Buffaloes. The only thing is, there was no ever a case where the name Wilma wasn't anything other than a woman's name. And there's no indication that Junia in ancient history, in biblical history, was anything other than a woman's name. So Junia was a woman. And so sometimes it's, it's what, the way it's translated is Paul says, greet and Andronicus and Junia, who are prominent or kind of well-known, not among the apostles, but to the apostles. In, in other words, all the apostles knew them and thought they were awesome. The only thing is, and that, that, that is, an, is a possible, although what it, I mean, the preposition they use really is the word among. So they were prominent among the apostles, but it's possible it could also be translated to the apostles, but it's really the word among the apostles. And among the early followers of Jesus in the first three centuries of followers of Jesus, everyone who ever wrote about Junia understood her to be included in the apostles. So they were, so Andronicus and, and I, I would assume his wife Junia were prominent apostles, a woman who was an apostle. Having what people would consider a position of authority. Okay, so there's kind of different ways of understanding the word apostle. So they were like the original 12 apostles, and that was kind of a separate thing. But there was a larger group in the New Testament of people that were called 
apostles. Like for, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, um, so you know the gospel that I shared with you, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, which were the original 12 apostles. And then he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And then he appeared to the rest of the apostles. And so apparently there was another group, a larger group, who were in some way apostles. One thing, the word apostle is, um, it's actually a noun form of a Greek, of a, of a verb, the word apostello, which means to send. It's really interesting to like to send or to send out. It's really interesting because in Luke chapter 10, Luke talks about a group that none of the other gospels talk about. Paul said that Andronic, Andronicus and Judea were in, they were in Christ before he was. The word, uh, it says in, in um, Luke chapter 10, that there was a group of 72 people that were sent. He uses the verb apostello, that were sent out to talk about, you know, Jesus and the kingdom of God. And it's possible that Andronicus and Junia were, because it would be, you know, kind of normal that you would send out, you know, even couples so that they could go to different places and talk to people about Jesus. And, you know, he could talk to the guys and she could talk to the gals and all that stuff or whatever. But, um, so the word apostle, which comes from the word to, to, to send out, to send forth, many people see it in, in, a, in a kind of a general sense as a, there's an, another, as the word missionary. Missionary, apostle comes from the Greek language. Missionary comes from the Latin language. Missionary comes from the, from the verb mitere, which means to send or to send out. And a missionary is someone who is sent out, like with the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God and how you can come into the kingdom of God to people who had never heard it, to help, help people come to know Jesus and to help them come together as a community of followers of Jesus. And some people believe, some scholars believe that you could think about that word that kind of that larger word apostle in the same way that you would think about a missionary or as what we would call a church planter, like as someone who goes to a, to a country or a community or a culture where they've never really heard about Jesus and tell them all about Jesus and invite them to come in to believe in him, come into the kingdom of God and form those people into a, into a community. And you would think, well, would a woman be able to do that, to be a church planner. Oh my goodness. I mean, history is so full of women who were brave and who were bold and who went, I mean, I could talk forever about them, about women who built the kingdom of God by going places and sharing Jesus. There was a woman named Lilius Trotter, who Lilius Trotter came from a really, really aristocratic Victorian home. And she, but she really was captured by the message of Jesus when she heard it from an American, D.L. Moody, who went to England 
And she just gave her heart to Jesus. And she began to volunteer with the Salvation Army, working with prostitutes on the street and women who were living on the street, trying to encourage them to come to know Jesus and to come live in shelters and to start a new life. She was incredible. But she was also an incredible painter. She was an incredible watercolor painter. One time she and her mother were in Venice, um, Italy, on vacation, and they found out that in their hotel, there was a man named John Rushkin, and John Rushkin was the leading art critic of the 1900s in the world. And so her mother did like the most embarrassing thing ever was she took some of her daughter's watercolors, some of Lilius's watercolors, and sent them to the room of John Rushkin and said, could you please give an opinion of what, excuse me for bothering you, but an opinion of my daughter's watercolors. And her, her, and Lilius was like, oh, are you kidding me? I can't believe you're doing this. But anyway, he was deeply impressed as he got to know Lilius and got to know just her work and the work that she did and began kind of talking with her. He became convinced and he told her, you could become the greatest painter of the 20th century if you'll give all of your heart to this. But she couldn't because she had already given all of her heart to, to Jesus. And she, she was in a church service and a pastor was saying, God is impressing me upon my heart that someone in this congregation is being called to go with the message of Jesus to North Africa. And Lilius Trotter stood up in the back and said, he is calling me. And she, she couldn't get accepted by any of the mission boards because she had heart problems. And she and two other women went to one of the most difficult countries in all of the world. They went to Algeria, where she spent 41 years of her life. She was brilliant. She would paint things and then she would get... Algerian people to write scriptures on it in Arabic. Arabic is an extremely calligraphy friendly language. Like they're like calligraphers in, in the Arabic language are as often as famous as authors and painters and other people. So, and they would write scriptures on it and she would use them. And she just, that Lilius Trotter, she never left any church behind or she didn't leave, um, you know, she didn't leave anything that you could put your hands on and say, she started this, she started this community or she started that community. She just shared the words of Jesus all over Algeria in a brilliant and an extremely brave way. And today there are in one of the most difficult countries in the world, 50 to 75,000 followers of Jesus Christ and scholars will attribute their existence to the work of Lilius Trotter. So yeah, could a woman? Yeah, there's a bunch of them and they have, the only thing is like, if you think about being like a um, a, a church planter, it's not really a position 
would God give that to a woman? It's not really. Would he give that position of authority to a woman? It's not really a position of authority. It's really a position initially of a lot of humility and a lot of humiliation. Like you go to a place like Tina and I, so who Tina was an amazing, if you think about the word apostle as the word missionary, she was amazing at it. But we we went and we lived in Italy for, and just to, to start churches and you do, and you're learning their language. You do a lot of things that are completely humiliating and you're misunderstood and it's, so when I used to leave in Viale Forlanini, we, where we lived, I'd be leaving in the morning. She'd be up at the seventh floor window waving to me, and I'd be down on the sidewalk waving to her. And we used to always do that, you know, where you use your little finger, your index finger, and your thumb to make the I love you sign, like from American Sign Language, you know. And I'd wave it to her, and she'd wave it to me. The only thing that we didn't know is that in Italian, in the Italian language, that hand gesture means the same thing that we mean when we make a hand gesture using less fingers, like using only one finger. And so like our neighbors would be watching us and they would be like, who are these people? Why do they hate each other so much? They flip each other off like every day. But um, so there's, you know, there's, there's a whole, a whole lot of that stuff. There's, um, it can be, you know, a lot of times it's funny how people used to always think like we people would come to know the Lord. They would start to come to Bible study, and we would be studying Romans and trying to, you know, teaching them the gospel. And they were always waiting for the time that you were going to have that meeting when you would finally start to tell them what what the money scheme is, because they always believed that somehow, because some people had gone to meetings like this that were kind of parties they were invited to, and it turned out to be Amway. And they always wanted to know, when is gonna, this going to turn into that thing where they really start to talk about why they're here and how they want our money? And when, when, it, when it never came, they were like, oh, you're just telling us about Jesus. Yes, that's all we're doing. So we don't want, we don't want your money. But so a lot of times it's, it's not so much a position of authority, it's a position of humiliation. And, and, and it's really, and it's a position of serving. Like you're just, you're just serving them the way you make any progress in the kingdom of God in a human heart. It's not by power. It's not a position of power. It's a position of serving we had, we had, uh, you know, we did a lot of sharing of Jesus and you wind up, you know, kind of collecting anybody who responds. It was a young man. We had a, a, a few people in our church that, um, that had, that had AIDS. Well, they, they were, um, HIV positive because of drugs that they had used sharing needles with other, with other drug addicts. And there was, there was one young man who, was responding to Jesus named Francesco and he was HIV positive. He eventually, he eventually died of AIDS in full faith in Jesus. And, uh, and, um, but when he would come to our church, he was kind of a, kind of, um, um, careless shaver. And so his, oftentimes his cheeks, he'd have little nicks of blood on his cheeks. And when you greet Italian people in church, you always kiss each other on the left cheek and go to the right cheek. And I always kind of wondered, because um, I, I kind of nicked myself too. And it's like, what do I do? And I just, I just prayed that God would protect me and that our blood wouldn't mix in open cuts that we had in our face and just greeted him because that's what it would mean. That's what it would mean to serve him. So to be that person that Junia was, to be 
that kind of church planner, a person who went to a culture to take the message of Jesus and share the kingdom of God and invite people in it. It wasn't a position of authority. It was a position of humility, and it wasn't a position of power. It was a position of serving people, and that's how the kingdom of God grows. And I know, I know that that that's it's so. One thing that's so prevalent is um, that for women to feel that women have been excluded from ministries for which they are gifted, and I've I felt women express the pain of that. But then sometimes, reading in books, people will say that 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 in the church, women have been excluded from places of power. And I always feel like, I know what you're saying, but what I believe is that men should be excluded from places of power. That men and women don't need to find themselves in places of power. That all places of power in the church of Jesus need to be closed and locked forever because it's not, it's not how the kingdom of God grows. It grows through serving and leadership is serving, like really serving, not like saying you're going to be a servant leader and it just means you're going to be nice about bossing people around. It's really about serving. And I know that sometimes women have felt like the only place afforded them in the kingdom of God is as like feet washers, like servants washing people's feet. The only thing is, that's what Jesus calls all of us to be washers of feet. When Jesus said to a room full of people, I have given you an example that you should wash people's feet the way I washed your feet. And there was not a woman in that room. He was saying that only to men. God calls all of us to serve, like really serve, and to be washers of feet. I personally think it's time that we stop talking about what it means to be a biblical woman and what it means to be a biblical man. Because I, I don't know, I just personally think that all of that stuff and that most of those books aren't really biblical at all. And there's very little scripture in all of that. I think it's time that we begin to talk about what it means to be a biblical human. But anyway, so Junia, was it Junia? Was it Junius? Was she famous among the apostles? Was she famous to the apostles? One thing that I think is amazing is that after 2,000 years we're still talking about her. We're still talking about this person. We're talking about a person who 
along with her husband, or maybe just, you know, was just living in this quiet, anonymous way. And then all of the sudden, they opened their hearts to Jesus, and they had this extraordinary, humongous life that involved going to other countries and telling people about Jesus and even going into prison with the Apostle Paul for telling people about Jesus. And we're still talking about her and we're still talking about this huge life that she lived. And there, I, you know, there's one reason why I love people like this. Like I have, all, I love and have always loved heroes, like people who have been heroes of God to me. And it's not because um, I want to be like them. It's because I want to be like them, like me. I want to have a life, like I want, God had this huge life for them. I want to find the huge life that he has for me. I, they had an extraordinary life, a life like nobody else. I want an extraordinary life. There was people, there was, they became people that nobody could have ever been but them. I want the person to be the person that God has for me. I want a big life. I want to be everything that God wants me to be. And I want to do everything that God has for me to do that nobody can do but me, that nobody can do but you. There's a place in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, that says we are his workmanship. And you know, and I mean, I've told you all this a million times, but the word workmanship is the Greek word is the word poema, where we get the word poem. And it's just like your life, like everybody's life is, God intends it to be an, a poem, like no other poem in the world. It said, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should do them. And so the, the word works is a word that, you know, it always made me feel like God has good deeds for me to do and do a good deed every day. But it's, where, it's a word that can also be translated occupation or an enterprise. Like God has an enterprise for you. He has an occupation for you. He has a pathway a path for your life that he wants you to go down this that that it may very possibly and probably going to be different than the pathway that he has for everybody else a life for me that's ahead what is it i don't know what it is i don't know what god has for me in the future i don't know what god has i'm having like some my life is kind of shifting right now and there's things that god has for me and i don't know what they are and i'm excited about it i don't even know and you think well how do i find that like how do i find my extraordinary life how do i find a life that nobody nobody's going to live but the life that god has for me it's going to be different. The only thing is, so Paul said, um, we're created in Christ Jesus for this good enterprise, like this, pa this path of a life that God has for you that, um, that, that was created before the foundation of, of the world beforehand, that we should do it. Well, the word do, it's not really the word do, it's the word walk. You just start walking. You just start walking with Jesus Christ and never stop walking. And somehow you'll find it. The only, and so your path is going to be different than my path, which is going to be different than everybody's path. The only thing is the very first step 
on this walk for you and for me and for everybody is always the same. It's the first step. It's a simple step, but it's a bigger step than most people probably estimate. And that is the step of believing in Jesus Christ, like believing in Jesus who gave, um, who gave his life for us and rose from the dead so that we could have a new start and we could have a new heart and believing in Jesus. The only thing is, I think that that is bigger than most people estimate. Like to, to believe in Jesus as the one who gave himself for us, what I mean by that is to believe in Jesus, like to believe that Jesus was almighty God who became a human being, not just a human being, but a, but a poor human being that he came and grew and was born in a barn and lived in poverty. And he grew up among poor people and simple people and humble people. And he was humble among them. And he came to give himself, to live a beautiful spotless life, but to give himself for us. And what that means is that there came a day when he offered himself to some people knowing that what they were gonna do is they were going to arrest him. And they were going to take him to a place and they were going to, they were going to compel him to go there and they were going to scream at him. And then they were going to slap him. And then they were going to spit in his face. And then they were going to strip him. And then they were going to beat him. And then they were going to torture him. And then they were going to compel him to go down a path of pain that would terminate in him being stripped naked and nailed to wood until he was dead so that he could pay for everything that we've ever done. And then he would rise from the dead and be able to offer us a new start and a new heart because of what he did for me. And I look back on that one point in history, like to believe in Jesus means I look back on that point in history. I look back on that one weekend in history and know that all, that I have life because of it. I have love because of it. I have hope because of it. I have everything in my life that is good. All of my life depended on him doing that on that Friday and rising from the dead on that Sunday. And I owe all of my life to that. You know, there was a point on that Thursday, late that Thursday night, before that Friday, when he would give himself for us, that he invited three of his friends into an olive garden where he knew that's where they would come to find him. And he was going to begin the offering of himself for that final, his final work. And he, he wanted them to come, and it's kind of hard to know why, whether he wanted their encouragement or whatever, and they fell asleep. And if I had been one of them, I would have been so happy to have been one of the ones who fell asleep because there came a certain point when he was praying and he said, Father, is there, is there any 
other way? Is there any other way for this cup to pass from me? Is there any other way to do this? I, I'm at the point where I'm wishing there was another way and I would not have wanted the responsibility, the immense responsibility to be an encourager of Jesus at that point and be the one to say, will you please do this? Will you please do this for me? Would you please be tortured for me? Would you please be willing to endure my hell for me? I would not have wanted to be responsible for that. But while they were sleeping, he said, yes. He said, I will. And I owe everything to that yes. And I owe everything to him. I owe all of my life to him. And I love him. We're still on the first step, by the way. I love him. I give my life to him. And I tell him, I would do anything you say. And I will go everywhere you lead. And then on the second step, I guess you start to learn where this is going to take you but it will eventually take you to a humongous life. So there was a woman, um, there was a woman, she was in, she was British. I think she was born something like 18, 1894, I think. And she was one of the women who worked, she was one of the people who worked in the, um, downstairs to a family that was upstairs. You know, she was in, in service, they say, and was like, a. um, a servant in this, in this household. And she fell in love with Jesus and she wanted to serve him and she wanted to go to China. That's where she wanted to go. And there was no mission that would take her because they felt that she wasn't intellectual. She was about, by the time she was like 34 and she was, and, um, she started to save her money because there wasn't a mission that would take her because they didn't think she would ever be able to learn Chinese because she didn't have the intellectual capacities. That's what they said. They said, they said she, you could tell she was super smart. She was very smart. But when she tried to learn in, her, in the conventional way of reading and reading in books, they said her mental processes would come to a complete stop and sometimes they would go into reverse. <laughs> and so uh, she saved enough money to take a train from England through Siberia into China. There was a woman named Jenny Lawson, I think it was an old woman, who had a missionary outpost and was looking for a, a helper. And um, she was just kind of sharing Jesus with mule team drivers in this outpost in China. And, and uh, she went and she, she didn't know she was coming and she presented herself to this woman and said, God has brought me here to help you. And it turned out the woman was super grumpy and didn't really want her help and didn't really like her very much and actually asked her to leave. She had nowhere to go. Then this Jenny got sick and, and um, this woman, her name was Gladys Allward and she came back and took care of this woman until she died and then kind of inherited this kind of missionary outpost. And there were kids everywhere and they were orphan kids and lived in the streets. And so she started to take them in and she wound up taking in over 100 kids. And uh, 
She just had this amazing work that she was doing with these orphan kids. And then when the communists started coming, coming, in, coming in and taking over China and all of China, she knew that she had to escape with these children over this mountain pass. The um, 100 kids, she was going to have to take them through this treacherous mountain pass, 300 miles, and she saved all of their lives. And live this beautiful, something she never dreamed that she would, she would, she would ever do. They made a movie about Gladys Allward with um, Ingrid Bergman. It was called The Inn of the Six Happinesses. And Gladys Allward, she wasn't really super happy that Ingrid Bergman was playing her in this movie because Ingrid Bergman had just left her husband and her kids and was with some Italian guy and all that. But um, but Ingrid Bergman, she was so impressed and touched by the love of Gladys Allward and the, and the life that she lived that she decided that she wanted to go visit her about 12 years after she made this movie. And she was in Taiwan at the time and was a, was a personal friend of Madame Chiang Kai-shek. And, she, and when Ingrid Bergman went to the little place where Gladys was living, she discovered that she had died about two weeks before. And the woman that had been her, her like companion and, co- and colleague showed Ingrid Bergman the little room that she slept in. And Ingrid Bergman got down on her knees by Gladys Allward's bed. And Gladys's colleague explained to her the message of Jesus Christ. And on her knees, she asked Jesus to be her savior. Went back and at the Hollywood Presbyterian Church was the one who read the story of the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. Well, I want to see through your eyes Say my life is your life Make every single day Another chance to say I want to please you more I want to love you, Lord I want to live like I'm your child And I want to make you smile today
Another chance to say